My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at ProBible.com. I am joined by my co-host, Kate Onder, who you could find writing about video games over at ComicBook.com. And today, our boy, Brandon Katz of Morning Brew, is um, my computer's frozen. <laughs> well you know what we're still we're still live and ready and, and going so uh thanks for having me back on <laughs> look at that pick up the baton and run with it just like I a mean, chris rock picking it up not, no no loss of momentum oh uh, thankfully wow, without this... the facial pain though <laughs> oh i'm back i'm back okay that was Wait. very weird i had just seen you last night you and i went to see the unbearable weight of massive talent while the review embargo is not up yet the social embargo is which allows me to say that you and i both thoroughly loved it adored it i mean amazing amazing movie i can't think of a studio comedy that has made me laugh that hard in a long time we will be talking about nick cage when that film comes out in a couple weeks but today we've got the premiere episode of marvel's moon Knight, which dropped on wednesday titled the goldfish problem but first we're going to dive into some news and notes from this past week beginning with the oscars the slap heard around the world now If you're a remotely normal person, you're probably sick of the discourse by now. If you're in our line of work, I feel like we predicted the discourse cycle coming. Like on Sunday night, I was already exhausted because I knew what was going to unfold over the next few days. You've got people, Wanda Sykes, the host, saying, nobody has said sorry to me yet. Amy (laughs) Schumer saying that she was traumatized. You've got every comedian and actor under the sun weighing in. So I really don't really give a shit about what we think about the Will Smith smack. But what I do think is an interesting point of view is what this means for Will Smith's career. Now, I, I struggle to think of, a, in my lifetime, I struggle to think of five movie stars that are bigger than Will Smith, more ubiquitously well-liked than Will Smith, somebody who has been in the public spotlight for 30 plus years and has rarely put a foot wrong. And for what should have been the culminating night of his career thus far, you know, enter him into the pantheon of all-time great A-list American movie stars. Not only that, African-American Academy Award winners should have been a historic crowning moment for him. Instead, it's a mark on his professional career and his personal character. So what I want to focus on is sort of not so much how you feel about the slap. I'm curious. Does this change your perception of Will Smith personally as a box office tool? And what is going to happen to his career if the Academy does decide to suspend him? Okay, hop in. I'll let you take this gauntlet first. (laughs) Great. See, I just posed the question. I didn't answer it. So, uh, (laughs) but... (laughs) Um, yeah, no, that's, it it, it is an interesting question, not to brag about land question, but, uh, (laughs) I think it's, it's weird because, you know, the idea is they're talking about expelling him from the Academy and I, I don't have a magnifying glass. So through the fine print of Academy rules, I don't even know if these are publicly available, but I have to meet, uh, assume that means he does not get to come back and win an award. If he gets suspended, he's probably like, this is a year or whatever he's benched. Right. But if he's expelled, it's not just that he's not allowed in the building, you know, that would also probably mean he can't win an award, which is poison to these more prestigious movies that he's been doing for the last 15 years. Your Pursuit of Happiness is King Richard, even the less acclaimed ones like uh, what is it, Clara Beauty or whatever. Seven or, or Pounds. Seven Pounds, Concussion. Seven all pounds these bullshit. 
yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the, these are not amazing movies, but he has had some hits like with King Richard and 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 Pursuit of Happiness. But um, that this seems like you know after winning an Oscar, the phone would be ringing about like let's get you in some more prestigious stuff. Let's really hit that. And uh, now I don't know because who's going to want to risk losing out on awards because they have Will Smith because he's also a very big producer. And if they want best picture and he's a producer, not happening because those awards go to producers. So it's, it's a whole thing of like, is, is if, if they really do punish him and I don't know if they'll go the expulsion route, I think it'd be probably more likely as a suspension, but I think it's still an interesting question with asking since there are talks of it. Um, would these prestigious movies keep casting? Them? I think box office will probably be fine. Uh, and that's why, Again, if he got expelled, I think they would probably just go, I Am Legend 2, I Robot 2, you know, all these sequels and, and franchises, I think are much more likely routes for him. Uh, but it's still kind of a wait and see. I don't think he's going to have to hit the unemployment line. I think he's fine. But like, um, it, it's a question of what does this mean for the trajectory of his career? It's so wild to me because Will Smith is always and has will always be my favorite movie star of all time. I, wow. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up on him. He was truly like uh, an aspirational figure in my mind. And it's interesting that for the last 30 years, his brand has essentially been decency. He yeah. is yeah. the she is the nice guy <laughs> celebrity, this this charismatic smile on your face guy who could, of course, can do drama and action, everything. But as a person, everyone knows Will Smith is the, the million dollar smile guy next door. Mm-hmm. And so for him to so rapidly and succinctly demolish that brand with one poor decision is, is very wild to me. I think though, it's more of a short term speed bump in terms of his career where maybe well, emancipation I was just going to ask you is demolish the right word there. Is that how you really feel? No, I think his brand took a hit for sure, but no, not, not demolished, but it was certainly shocking. But I think, like I said, it's more of a short-term speed bump. Emancipation at Apple may be potentially delayed, not officially just being like, oh, yeah, we're still in pre-production. Yeah. You know, some of his projects may, may cool a little bit. But at the end of the day, regardless of if he's, if he's suspended by the Academy or not, Roman Polanski got a standing ovation after being accused of rape. Harvey Weinstein still has his Oscars. Mel Gibson was, after a short-term time in the wilderness, welcomed back and got nominations for Hacksaw Ridge. And I think all three of those guys are very easily worse people than Will Smith. Will Smith did a horrible thing and there should be some form of punishment, but this guy, I think longer term is going to be fine. I think his career is going to normalize and stabilize after just a little bit of an adjustment period. And I think if he can show a little bit more contrition because that, that dancing it up after the Oscars was not a good look. I think on a personal (laughs) level, he'll be fine. Yeah, uh, it's it's really frustrating because I've just rediscovered I Am Legend like a week ago and I've been ra- raving about like, oh, I Am Legend, one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited for the sequel. And now I'm like, oh, man, are they even going to do it? You know, now like, is again, gonna yeah, play? that's one that they could maybe <laughs> sacrifice. That one yeah. gets shelved. But like, you know, eight months from now, someone's like, you know what? We got to get Will Smith back in a movie and, yeah. and he's fine. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Do you think we would even be having this discussion if he had just sat in the audience and yelled, like just done the, the second half of that thing. If it was just him yelling at him. No. He'd be applauded. Yeah. 
You think so? Yeah, I think he'd be applied. People would be like, oh, maybe you shouldn't interrupt. But like, no, he'd be applied. He was coming uh, to sure. the defense of his wife. And this is not a one-to-one comparison. And I understand that, like, if the severity of what he did was more extreme, this point wouldn't make sense. But it's sort of the point that I make about Thrones, Game of Thrones, the TV show, where are we going to judge the totality of this project or person that was excellent for 90% of its run on its 5 to 10% bad moments? I don't think that's fair. Now, uh, I think it was B who brought up his next film is Apple TV Emancipation. He's going to have to do a lot of brand rehab until then because – Unless he like goes out of his way to do sit down interviews and such, the entire press tour, whenever this movie comes out, is going to be focused on that slap. Before that happens, him and Chris Rock need to have a public appearance together. For for his sake, Chris doesn't have to do shit if he doesn't want to. Chris has said neither of the Smiths have reached out to him afterwards. But uh, if they can find some way to publicly squash the beef in that way, that would go a long way, I think, for the entire community to be like, ah, we're over it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Final thoughts. I think something that just clicked in my brain is Apple just won their first Oscar and Best Picture and all that stuff, right? Like that's a big thing. And now I don't know. Is this movie supposed to be a serious movie that he's doing with them? Well, yeah. Or is it it's action? A, it's a slave drama, but it's defined as an action thriller. So, Interesting. Like, so we'll see. But it is about slaves, so that is yeah. inherently serious. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Of course. Uh, so yeah, that that is an interesting thing of like. Apple is coming off this Oscar high. He also just won an Oscar, but like different reactions to that. So that's that's an interesting thing. Just I don't even know what to say about it, just to think about. Uh, but yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. So, I mean, look, I think we all agree that Smith's career is not going to end here, but it was just, no. just a remarkable real time of like watching like, oh, this guy's life is different now. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Well said. You know what I mean? Like, there's B.C. and A.D., and we watched that shit happen <laughs> in Will Smith's life. But it's going to be <laughs> B.S. and A.S. before right. slapping ass. Exactly. <laughs> so, moving on. Winnie. Winnie, you cute little girl. You can leave this part in, man. Everybody loves dogs. I didn't even know you had a dog. No, my parents' dog. <laughs> watching her. Winnie, quiet. Kate, where do you live, by the way? I completely forgot. Iowa. Oh, man. So you're far away. Cornfields, yeah. He's he is literally out there. <laughs> come, come to the coast, brother. I I need to. I need we'll show to. you a good time. <laughs> uh, all right, next year, Morbius. The so it hits theaters tonight, uh, Thursday, March thirty first. The embargo dropped Wednesday, March thirtieth. The screenings in New York was at one p.m. in the middle of the day on a Wednesday. The embargo lifted that same night at eight p.m. I didn't get to see it. Brandon didn't get to see it. Cade has not yet seen it. So we aren't really talking about the movie per se, but more going to talk about what it means for Sony's Spider-Man experiment. Cause I think that's the best word for it at this point. Yeah. Um, as things currently stand, it has a 17% critic score after 80 plus reviews. Now, even as somebody who has been saying for quite some time, saying, joking, whatever, bemoaning the existence of this film, bemoaning Jared Leto in general. I Even I truly did not expect the yeah. reaction to be this bad. I mean, we're not talking Venom, Venom 2 bad. We're talking mm-hmm. like Fantastic Four from what, like 2015 yeah. bad? Yeah. I mean, like, 
I was school. thinking like 40s or 50s Rotten Tomatoes before it dropped. I was like, you know, probably settle there. Like, yeah, yeah. 15%. The 30s would have been a better look. I mean, yeah. yeah. So what, and, <laughs> and, and I think, Cade, you were talking with, um, I believe his name is Andrew Salazar of mm-hmm. Discussing Film, and he was discussing, pun intended, I guess, um, <laughs> like the reshoots that they had done post No Way Home, which reminded me that whether we like it or not, our current big screen Spider-Man is intrinsically tied to this Sony mess. Yeah. So instead of talking about the Morbius film itself, because of course we have not seen it, I want to talk about what this bottoming out reaction means for Sony's Spider-Man verse going forward. Now, this isn't to say that anybody confused it for Nolan's Dark Knight films. Like right. Venom <laughs> 1 and 2 never got that rep, but it was manageable. It was serviceable. It was doable. That doesn't seem to be the case for this film. So what do you think the ripple effects of how bad this film are going to be, guys? It's it's a great question because obviously Sony has for years been trying to build an interconnected shared Marvel universe, much like the MCU. And frankly, we were not the biggest fans, at least me and Eric. I don't know where you stand, Kate, on, on some of the Venom movies. And yet those have overperformed financially to significant degrees. So we can say that bad reviews aren't necessarily a a showstopper. You know, if this after this opening weekend overachieves at the box office, no one's going to care about the reviews. And I do want to point out Morbius only cost about 75 million. So if this does 200, 215, 230 worldwide, at least, you know, Sony's going to be like, you know what? Not great. But the second that he interacts with whichever Spider-Man he's going to interact with, that's like a couple hundred mil added to the box office. So it's worth having that team up and then giving him his own sequel or, or whatever, because all they need it to do is not flop egregiously. Even if it doesn't, even if it just barely breaks even, they'll continue with more Morbius movies because they know Spider-Man will increase his value. So I, I wasn't super interested in it. It looks terrible. It's getting terrible reviews. I'm not super interested in Craven the Hunter. I don't really like Venom, but uh, if, if, Sony can, you know, somehow work with Marvel on like a Miles Morales movie or keep keep churning out good Tom Holland content. I'm still there, but it's not a competitor to the MCU. Let's be real. No, it's, uh, I I don't think this is like uh, the end. You know, I'm, you know, they already have movies in the works. They have uh, uh, Madam Web and and Craven are the big ones. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So Craven, I have a little. Olivia Wilde, though. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. Oh, yeah, she's doing the Directing. Spider Woman, right? Oh, oh, so she's not doing Web. I don't think so. Oh, she's doing a different Spider Woman movie. Yeah, because Madam Web is like an old lady okay. who sits in a chair and does weird shit. Oh, I'm um, sure that'll oh, do yeah, well. Oh, yeah, wait, S.J. Clarkson <laughs> is directing Madam Web, which actually, yeah. that's kind of cool. She, uh, yeah. she's, she's got some good stuff on her resume, for sure. All right, so I'm kind of back in on Madam Web. <laughs> So there, there's, uh, yeah, I don't know what that movie looks like. Again, it's just like, who fucking is thinking like, you know what? We need Morbius without Spider-Man, Madam Web without Spider-Man, all these characters without Spider-Man. These characters are are cool characters. Venom is the only one I know was like, that makes sense to spin off. It makes sense. That's a cool character that can live on its own. But Craven and all these other guys, they work well with Spider-Man. Craven is hunting the deadliest game, which he believes to be Spider-Man, you know? And, and Morbius is a, vampire but like that works really well with blade spider-man you 
know. It's a whole thing. Like point. There's a reason that Warner Bros. hasn't followed up Joker with right. Freeze because you can't apply that formula to every villain. A- absolutely. Um, it's it's just confusing because you know I I think this movie was like doomed from the start. I think. Oh, look. Jared Leto's won an Oscar and some stuff, but uh, I think he's just poison. Like he just he just does so much stupid movies like that. I I don't know. Like you know he's got some good movies in the past. American Psycho. I watched that last night. He's great in that. Uh, you know Thin Red Line. I think right and and some other stuff. You know he's he's got good movies, but like this last like decade, he's just doing whatever. He did that Denzel movie last year, which was yep. okay. And, he, uh, and I feel like what he does is whereas like Venom is able to cruise on Tom Hardy's charisma, Jared Leto doesn't like he he goes method when he he doesn't need to. You know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> taking he's taking it too seriously and sucking. And this is just from what I read, like sort of sucks the life out of what should be a fun project. So that's it. It makes me worried for the future of Spider-Man in general because from what I've read, Sony was very reactionary to No Way Home and sort of cut and paste things regarding Keaton's vulture. So the fact that they're very off the cuff is a continually worrisome sign. Just without yeah. seeing the movie, I can't really comment too much on Morbius other than the, the jokes we have been making. All I know is there's just no reason why Sony doesn't say, hey, Phil Lord and Chris Miller just control all of our Marvel verse. You know, we want to put you in charge. You be our Kevin Feige. Like, yeah. done. You know how immediately interested I'm going to be? <laughs> Tons of film Twitter fans are going to be. And then general audiences, even if they don't know who they are, are going to be like, oh, wait, I like the previous movies that these yeah. guys did. I, I think I'll check these out. Like, it, it's, I don't know how there hasn't been a Godfather offer made already for them to be in charge of the whole thing and quarterback just- that bad boy anybody you know like there is no like top of the pyramid for this this whole thing like it's it's really weird uh and, and eric just said like jared Leto takes himself too serious venom i don't know what the plan was in that first movie it, it seems like it found its tone in the end but like they figured it out and are like this is dumb this is stupid venom is at a rave uh and he might be bisexual or whatever like it's like venom is a wild wild movie and and, uh that's very fun and cool but morbius is like what if this guy was really sick and he knew another guy who was really sick and he became a vampire and it's like what i don't fucking care about that That sounds dumb and uh and it it wound up being dumb yeah does does blade in the comics ever try to kill morbius they have had some some run-ins. Uh, Do you watch the '90s animated series? Uh, I the Spider-Man one. Yeah, I have. Yeah, when, yeah. when he's got the the suckers on his hand. Yeah, Blade <laughs> was in that uh, that little arc as well. So. Okay, cool. Because I would like to see that, but obviously there's there's a lot of confusion <laughs> with hate. Sony v- and Marvel. Yeah. 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 All right, let's move on to some quick hitters. Last week it was announced a Nova project. Unsure if it's going to be a Disney Plus series or a film is in the works at Marvel. This is probably one of the biggest characters left on the board, I'd say. Mm-hmm. He is a member of the Nova Corps, who we first saw in Guardians of the Galaxy, who are an intergalactic police force who protect the universe from threats. Nova first appeared in the 1976 issue of Super Adventures and was a member of the Corps, blah, 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 for which he gained superhuman abilities, including enhanced strength, flight, and resistance to injury. Cade, do you have any Nova knowledge? They were in the Guardians of the Galaxy game, not Nova himself, but the uh-huh. Nova Corps, and they're just, they're cool. 
uh, and they appeared in the Guardians movie as well. Uh, so uh, yeah, I I really like the idea of a space police. So I would like to see him show up, and uh, a movie would be really cool to see just to have that kind of scale. But I'm down for a show as well. Like imagine like cops, like the the TV show right, but, <laughs> in <yeah>. space. <laughs> uh, all right, Barry Keegan made his sort of full debut as Joker in a deleted scene that was released last week now i think the execution of the scene was good given that matt reeves is largely anything he's going to put out is going to be good but what i'm curious about more so is would you guys have preferred this in the film as opposed to what we got would you have preferred it in addition to what we got how do you feel about the way that this scene was rolled out I'm I'm fine with him cutting it and releasing it as a deleted scene. You know, I, I can definitely see how it bloats the running time. I can definitely understand where he's coming from, where he really is not about those post-credit tags. That's that's cool with me. So I'm fine with that. I just couldn't understand a single word Joker was yeah. saying. So uh, when someone put out the transcript, I was much happier. And, uh, you know, Matt Reeves can say whatever he wants about not knowing what the future of the Joker in his universe is. You just don't cast Barry Keegan and release this scene to generate hype if you're not planning to use him somehow, some way in the future. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I'm of the same mind. I don't, I didn't need it in the movie. Uh, I think it, it works better than the post credit scene that they did have, or not post credit, but you know what I mean. Uh, the one that's in the movie. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, somebody was like, it just tells you the movie. Like it tells you what this movie is while you're watching it. Like Joker lays it all out for you. And I get that. Cause he's basically being like, Oh, you don't like this because it's, it kind of is how you feel. And, and you're kind of made to interpret that as you watch the movie, as opposed to being told it. So I don't mind that it's cut. I, I, I like his uh, idea of, joker having already met batman and there's an established relationship and i talked Definitely. about this before uh, i think that's a really cool idea and uh i'm i'm eager to see more of of that because i i like the idea of batman having fought some people and there's some uh grudges being held uh so i hope we that's what i want to see more than just joker out on the streets causing chaos i want to see the relationship there more than anything else yeah, it'd be awesome if they kept him in sort of a on the outskirts Hannibal Lecter type vibe, but I just don't see them having the balls to do that. Um, I don't think so. One thing I want to touch on is his aesthetic. This is a mm. deeply sort of scarred Joker. Face is all jacked up, hair is burned off, teeth are all British. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that acid uh, bath was brutal for that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the one thing that I sort when it. You guys ever like leave mashed potatoes in your fridge for like a week and a half? No, they get, <laughs> no, just like by accident, like you forget about them. But they get like like brown and like crusty. That's that's how the Joker looked. He looked like you know rotten mashed potatoes, and I was like, respect. Disgusting. So he uh, has a very like new fifty two uh, death of the family Joker yeah. vibe, which is a newer version, which sees him like cut off his own face and paste it back on. Real sadistic shit. Yeah. So I think that just yeah. speaks to how sort of truly why his deranged. own face. I don't. I don't even understand truly, like the truly deranged version of like. Whereas Joaquin Phoenix's, there was an element of like sympathy towards him, mm. and whereas Heath Ledger's, there was an element of you know this guy is kind of right mm -hmm. this version i think is just going to be totally deplorable disgusting almost like a creature type thing 
That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Halo has premiered. It premiered last week. I think episode two dropped today. Mm-hmm. I have not yet checked this out. Cade, you have. You are also our gaming guy. Any big thoughts about what you've seen so far? I know that I've read it takes quite a few departures from the game mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, uh, this isn't a spoiler because I've talked publicly about this, but Master Chief removes his helmets and shows his face uh, quite extensively. Uh, and there's a reason for it. It's not like he's just walking around being a guy. Uh, it's, it's part of his arc and plot. But in the games, that's always been kind of a no-no. He's, he's the player in a way, even though he has a voice and stuff, this is meant to, for you to project yourself onto him. And so... Uh, this is very different for the show and some people are rubbed the wrong way about them doing it this early. I think some people knew this was going to happen regardless. I am of the mind that it is probably too early and I would have liked it to be built up more because it is like an emotional moment um, in the show, but uh, it could have had a stronger payoff like it did at the end of season one of the Mandalorian where they go the whole show and then he has to take his helmet off. Um, I think that would have been interesting, but, uh, overall, um, I, I really enjoy it so far. The special effects are so fucking bizarre because sometimes it looks like the most premium show they could have made. And sometimes it looks like it's halfway complete. And there's a lot of moments where Master Chief is rubbery and like jumps and moves around like like an old video game character, not even like current Halo. The way that I put it is it looks like a cinematic trailer for the game. That's probably a good way of putting it. Yeah. It's it's a little jarring. So it, it it's it's just inconsistent. That's what makes it frustrating. If it picked one or the other, I think it would be easier to digest. But it's like my brain is trying to process this and it's hard. Um, but the action itself is pretty awesome. Master Chief is really cool uh, as expected. Uh, the, the only other thing I fucking hate is that there's a human woman who is uh, in charge of the Covenant or she's like higher ranking. The Covenant are aliens. They are bad motherfucking aliens. And she's just in there doing her thing. And I'm like, who is she? This is weird. Like, I get it. They're not doing the same thing as the games, but it just feels like a complete like departure in the weirdest of ways, uh, unnecessary. And like the trailers of Tisha have like superpowers or something. And so I'm, I don't know about that, but I turned it off that. after 20 minutes and Did it sounds you? like I made the right decision. I mean, I knew yeah. I made the right decision because I was like, this is hot garbage and you're <laughs> only, uh, you know, legitimizing and validating my, my action. So thank you, kid. Yeah, of course. I couldn't get through the first one either. That said, the, the reviews are better than I thought they'd be. It currently has a seventy percent. So yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm not uh, rooting for it to fail, particularly no. after a decade of development hell. It's just, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't good. Yeah. yeah, it's it's uh it's a mixed bag. I think the A plot with Master Chief is really cool, but uh, I need to see if they can keep it up and maintain that momentum. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Ezra Miller was arrested for a whole bunch of shit in Hawaii. Um, I'm not going to really get into the details. If you want to look that up, go forth. We're here to talk about more. So what does Warner Bros. do with him at this point? The Flash apparently just test screened this past week. Um, The Flash is positioned as like a future DCEU table setting film. 
Ezra Miller, I think, never quite became the star that they thought he would become when they cast him in the role. And not only that, but he's sort of, for lack of a better term, regressed in terms of like the public's opinion of him. I mean, it's too late to remake the movie at this point. But B, if you're Warner Bros., what are you doing? It's not much they can do. Uh, Ezra Miller's also in Fantastic Beasts. As it relates to Flash, though. I think they probably are just hoping everything blows over and maybe they won't have them uh, feature in another project very soon after The Flash. But it it pains me because Ezra Miller is playing one of the only Jewish superheroes out there, canonically. And uh, that sucks. So that sucks for me. But I think that they are not very good in that role, as I've said on this podcast a thousand times. And uh, I think that person really, really needs help. And they, they should do what they can to get them that help and not put their product and entertainment first because this, this is escalating now, escalating yeah. behavior, and we don't want to see what's next. Someone uh, put it very well on Twitter today and said, uh, Warner Brothers kind of brushed that other incident under the rug of uh, Ezra Miller choke slamming that person or whatever. And we don't know. That was like so vague and like half a second of footage and there wasn't much follow up to it, but nobody really talked about it. And someone was like, by not acknowledging that, not doing anything for Ezra Miller to be like, hey, do you need some help? Uh, it has only made their situation worse and Ezra Miller's situation like well-being worse. Like it is just like not good to ignore this problem for your PR. Like it's just escalating, like you said. And uh, it's unfortunate and creates a bad issue for Warner Brothers now with Fantastic Beasts coming out in like, what, two, three weeks. And Flash obviously has the benefit of its own delay now because they kind of gain some distance from this and maybe try to figure something out with Ezra Miller. But like they can't recast this deep into the process. No, but they can do some sort of public eye kind of like we're helping Ezra Miller get some therapy or rehab or whatever the issue. I hope so uh because otherwise i don't know what they do uh you you can't continue to support this kind of behavior and i just act like nothing's going on i think they have to make a statement or something at some point if this if this goes on because i mean like apparently ezra miller this is 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 erratic yeah Yeah. you know this is erratic (laughs) behavior yeah yeah it's not just like one assault it's like i'm going to send people to kill you which is (laughs) crazy yeah um So, yeah. All right. I definitely agree with you both. 67-year-old action icon Bruce Willis has retired due to a diagnosis of asphasia, I think it's pronounced, uh, which is sort of a cognitive disorder that hinders your ability to understand or uh, use speech. Um, Wish all the best to him and his family. Uh, It was announced that House of the Dragon will premiere on August 28th. That's just about... A week and a half before Amazon Prime's Lord of the Rings series drops, so we're going to have a little bit of uh, fantasy head-to-head there. Brandon said to me last night something that I thought fascinating, that he thought, how's the dragon could blow Lord of the Wing, Lord of the Rings out of the water? I mean, listen, I, Lord of the Rings is going to be huge no matter what, for sure. But it does seem, particularly given the uh, monstrous publicly reported price tag, that at least among diehards that I talk to outside of film Twitter and diehards who love rings lore uh, on film Twitter aren't 100% sold. Now, of course, that is anecdotal evidence at best. It does not reflect the general public. 
But, you know, I, I'd have to agree that while I'm super intrigued and I can't wait, that trailer wasn't quite as grand and sweeping a, a, an epic as I expected. It was, of course, more of a teaser, so we'll see whatever promotional material they come out with. But, you know, Thrones, a spinoff, Targaryens, dragons, it, it's a little bit less of a question mark than Amazon's, uh, you know, small screen version of Lord of the Rings. I just could see it's, you know, more established with HBO brand. I just could see it outperforming Lord of the Rings, but I bet there's more than enough room for both to succeed. Okay. Uh, Jason Bateman to direct Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson in a film called Project Artemis, which Apple acquired for $100 million. According to Deadline, plot details are being kept tightly under wraps, but we hear the project is set against the space race. B, I put this out in a tweet today. I think if Bateman crushes this, you combine that and his work on Ozark, and I think he could develop like a Jordan Peele-esque aura to his name. He's had a couple well-reviewed features as a director before, but nothing super big. I, I can't remember the last one I saw, but it was, it was well, pretty charming. Well, his first one was Bad Words. Yeah, that was like, it. Came out like 10 years ago, but I, I don't know if he's done a film since. Okay, so so he's had, he has a little bit of experience, not much. Uh, I'm interested in what the actual plot is because I actually was talking about this on a podcast earlier today. And apparently the, the current project Artemis is NASA's attempts <laughs> to send people back to the moon. So that would be interesting if Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson were a part of that with maybe a, a deeper sci-fi hook somewhere thrown in there. I think that could be interesting. So, you know, you know, sci-fi romance, as, as Eric loves to say, this, this movie's already got my attention. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Sharon Stone has reportedly been cast as the main villain in Blue Beetle. Fascinating choice. Also, Blue Beetle was originally supposed to be an HBO Max film, but they wound it up switching courses, and now it will be theatrical. All right, that'll do it for our news and quick hitters. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we are breaking down the first episode of Moon Knight. Moon Knight, episode one, The Goldfish Problem, first of six. Now, what we usually do when we break down MCU shows is we sort of really get granular as hell and sort of break it down, not quite scene by scene, but sort of act by act. But I think that that's difficult to do with this pilot because its foundation, its whole premise is confusion and disorientation. So there's not much that we could really latch our teeth into in terms of where do we think the show is going and what do we think is going on, but more so we're learning about the main character. So we're going to run through a quick recap of the episode and then we'll sort of get into larger talking points. Museum worker Stephen Grant occasionally suffers from blackouts and memories of another life. After going to sleep one night, he wakes up in another country and witnesses a cult meeting led by Arthur Harrow, who demands a scarab Grant unknowingly had in his possession. He escapes and is nearly killed, but is unknowingly saved by a mysterious voice in his head. After waking up in his home and noticing several oddities, Grant realizes that two days have passed since he went to sleep. Upon returning home from a misscheduled date, Grant finds a hidden phone and key card in his apartment. He gets a call from a mysterious woman called Layla, who calls him Mark. The next day at work, Grant is confronted by Harrow, who reveals that he is a servant of the goddess Amit. Later that night, Harrow summons an Anubis-associated jackal monster that attacks Grant at the museum. Just as Grant is cornered in the restroom, Grant's reflection in the mirror, Mark Spector, tells Grant to let him take control. Grant agrees, and he transformed into a cloaked warrior known as Moon Knight, who then kills the jackal monster. Now, where I want to start, and something that B and I 
briefly touched on when we were chilling last night is where would you guys rank this in terms of MCU show debuts so far? That's, that's a tough question without having seen the final two episodes as of right now. And this is subject to change. No, 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 no. Premiere. Like the first episode. Oh, Pilot. Sorry, sorry. Oh, this is one of the best. This is easily one of the best. It's so exciting. Mystery is really engrossing. And Oscar Isaac is fantastic. I mean, you could make the argument that Oscar Isaac is the best actor and performer they've had on one of these Disney Plus shows. Yes. Um, I would say it's probably number one or two tied WandaVision. I think that is a really strong premiere. Um, but this one sets itself up for uh, less of a trap at the end, I feel like, because that show was kind of built on its uh, mystery. And if you take away the mystery, it's not as exciting to rewatch, in my opinion. Uh, but I Have think- Have you tried yet? No. <laughs> so I'm my ass, no, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I was just genuinely curious no, to hear no, someone's I, thoughts I who had yeah. rewatched. Yeah. Yeah. Because totally. one thing I brought up to B was like, I agree. I think WandaVision probably has the best premiere, but yeah. we got to remember the state that we were in mm-hmm. as a culture at that time. We yes. were so thirsty for big budget superhero content. And when that came, it was the first since I think Spider-Man Far From Home. So there was a real palpable excitement for it. So I'm just curious how much that skews our perception of its actual quality. But at least the Mephisto jokes are still funny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I just, I think this, you know, there is mystery here, but I think the uh, uh, thing I really like about it is just Oscar Isaac is a very lovable loser in this, in this episode. Like the, the scene with him at the uh, dinner at the restaurant, just talking about steak. Oh, we will talk about that. Absolutely. Of course. I got almost um, rom-com-esque vibes in the beginning where he's like this sad sack loser who like you're rooting for, but like, oh, I'm going to be late for work and everything's too, you know, nobody likes me. Like I got, I really love that. The guy just needs to take off his specs and push back his hair and now he's handsome. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and then I think another important sort of larger thing to ask is why is this a TV show? We've talked about on the show and Brandon and I have talked in private how you don't cast someone like Oscar Isaac in a role like this to relegate him to his TV show and his TV show alone. There has to be bigger plans at work for this character. But why did that make them start with the show as opposed to the film? One of the things that I picked up on in this pilot was the shifting tones you get the body horror of like the broken jaw like that was one of the more extreme injuries the mcu has ever shown you get sort of the vague comedy of the arguing personalities and then you have sort of the mummy like action adventure going on and then you also have further undercuts of comedy where like there was that car chase scene and they're playing that george michael song wake me up before (laughs) you go so there's a lot of different tones at play here and i think that that is one of the reasons why this is a show and not a film because that sort of whiplash between different vibes and themes and tones in a two-hour film would probably be overwhelming but over the course of a series i think it allows the sort of breathing space for this show to flip back and forth between different types of shows, really. Um, Where do you guys stand on this being a show versus film? Why do you think they did it? Do you think that it was the right call from what you've seen so far? I think the show is, is, it's a good call for a show just because I think the pacing of it works really well. Like I just think uh, unraveling a a larger kind of mystery of who this guy is, where, 
where has he been uh works well in a a tv show as opposed to a movie uh i mean we spent one hour half the movie right uh just with this one episode before we even see uh moon night so and i i found it incredibly engaging um so i i think it works well just because this is a weird character that uh also i just think like box office wise i know it's marvel and i've doubted characters having big box office success before but like moon knight would be another obscure character it works well on a, a tv show format where you can slowly introduce people and then um maybe work him into you know i don't know if he'll be in a movie but uh other characters like daredevil and stuff i know we've talked about that already um i think to be fascinating yeah i think first of all him suffering from did that is better explored on the longer form plat uh, platform of television you know we can kind of yeah. really get into the ins and outs of the mental health and it gives you a lot more space and frankly this is a business decision. Bob Chapik wants to build out Disney Plus with the biggest blockbuster content. Theatrical, yes, it's always going to be important, but Disney Plus is their number one priority. So, hey, Oscar Isaac, a beloved star of both film, Twitter, and general audiences alike, want to come do this uh, weird show that is definitely weirder than the than the movies and, and has a lot more rough edges in a good way. And uh, we'll give you a handful of episodes and maybe it'll be a couple seasons. Who knows? Like, of course, they, they're they're shifting what the what what's going to move the needle to Disney Plus in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was just reported today in Variety that Oscar Isaac currently, as things stands, is not contractually obligated to appear as Moon Knight again once this show is done. Do I think that that's how things are going to unfold? Absolutely not. But the fact that he's not tied in long term either speaks to his hesitation um, of franchise filmmaking. No, it speaks to how good his agent is. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If okay. you negotiate as you go, you're making a lot more money. Okay, okay. Smart man. Um, all right, so, and yeah, my sort of general thoughts about the pilot, and I brought this up last week, and I think that this is why it works well as a show, is because the first episode is not, is a, traditional origin story in terms of sequencing like it's at the start you're learning about this character here's what you need to know but it's not traditional in terms of actual structure we're in not only are we learning the character's origin and past but so is he so you're along yep. the ride with him and i don't know if you could pull that off in a film of for the first hour he's like who the fuck am i and then, <laughs> and, and then in hour two it's oh that's right i'm a hero like, yeah. I just think that that would be too condensed of a timeline for that to unfold. And too fight clubby. And if it's like, oh, here's the big reveal. Whereas a TV show, it just works better, as we've seen with Mr. Yeah. Robot. At least, at least yeah. now that that precedent has been set cinematically. So yeah. one thing that has been a major talking point since fans have seen this is that it's disconnection from the MCU at large. I mean, if you look at all of the Disney Plus shows so far outside of What If, they A featured previously existing characters moon knight is the first to introduce a new hero and b whether it did or did not which they all did it still had those sort of mcu franchise growing trappings in loki we got kang in wandavision dr strange was supposed to appear hawkeye gave us uh florence Pugh's um who's she yelena right 
So there have been franchisifications of all this show. In Falcon and Soldier, we get John Walker and we get the introduction of um, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's Contessa six names. I don't even remember what her name Blaine. was. So how are you guys feeling about it? sort of its siloed nature thus far? Any benefits or drawbacks that you've sensed? I think it's funny that there's more references to Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar, and Avatar as in the Nickelodeon show Avatar, uh, <laughs> than there are the MCU, which is just weird. Uh, but uh, I, I have no problem with it. Uh, I have a hard time imagining how they would connect all of this stuff so far. I mean, I don't know. Uh, what, there's two episodes that you guys haven't seen, right? Correct. Yeah. So there there are two episodes where that could all come back together, I suppose. Uh, but I, I think it's interesting, the choice to just leave this as its own thing, because uh, tonally, it feels distinct from the MCU for the most part. It has some humor and, and the usage of music, which I think the MCU has embraced over the last five, six years um but uh yeah what go ahead no you mean like the needle drops right yeah 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 um so i i think that's all very interesting but like opening feel... up a scene with a guy putting glass in his shoes to a bob dylan song yeah for the mcu <laughs> is pretty extreme yeah. i thought the exact same thing i was like whoa that's intense and heavy and uh and that was ethan hawk's idea really was it yeah. <laughs> i love Fucking it madman uh, as was the British accent for Oscar Isaac. That was a bad choice in my opinion, but <laughs> yeah, that and milk. I, I do think that the, the, you got that bad, one, yeah, I, I picked up on that. <laughs> Clueless flew right over my head, but uh, I, I think that the, Anchorman Cade. What about milk was a bad choice? Oh, <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, I, I think that the British accent though is actually an interesting choice because uh it's it's like I say it's a bad choice, but it is an interesting choice because it's a bad accent almost on purpose because that's not his real voice, well, right? The girl, the girl who calls, calls him, him is like, like why? She's like, why are you talking like that? Yeah, yeah. So it seems almost like kind of intentionally bad on some level, which is, is interesting. So I I like that choice. Did did we find out why he put glass in his shoes, uh, Ethan Hawke? It's self. Uh, I can't. I can never pronounce the word, but flagellation. I. I I'm okay. that word. It's but an that's actual like, like spiritual yeah, thing. That's right? what I thought. Yeah, it's yeah. like religions. Religious penance. Yeah. I didn't know if they just tied it to something. Right. Yeah. All right. B. Go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, I've got two things to say. Number one, Shang Chi is ninety-seven percent self-contained. You know. Yeah. And it's awesome. And I think. Yeah, go for it, Moon Knight. I, if you don't want to mention anything in the other MCU for the entire season, I'm totally down with that. You don't need to lean on anybody do else. Do you, you think that they precious. will? I, I don't know. I don't care. I, you know, if they do, great. If they don't, uh, you know, that, that's fine too because it works. They don't need it. They've got a strong enough lead, a strong enough character, and strong enough you know superpower mythology to support it without it. But the second thing I'll say is, we do know it takes place within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We know that. And to me, at this point, even though, of course, I would be scared in a similar scenario, but it's always just mind-boggling to me how the citizens in this world who have seen a <laughs> dozen cataclysmic events, endless supernatural happenings, so many different superpowers are like something spooky or otherworldly happens. It's like, Ooh, what's going on? This is so weird and abnormal. It's like, motherfucker, you're reading about this in the New York Times and New York Post and LA Times <laughs> every day. Like, you know, crazy stuff is going, going on. There are humans flying around and everything. Like, 
you wouldn't be that surprised when weird shit started popping Four up. That exists. Yeah, I'm like, you you know there's countless aliens and a, and a tyrannical alien erased all ha- life in the universe for, for five years. Like, you know that. Like, so you're, one basically spooky telling, you're basically telling the MCU population to act like they've been there before. Yeah, come on, guys. Like, enough. Like, let's, <laughs> let's grow up a little bit. Let's accept there's some weird stuff going on and uh, move on with our lives. You don't need to be like, oh, my God, what's happening? Do, um, do you think, though, that, like, because they've been so traumatized that anytime one little bad thing happens, they're just fucking freaking out there? They're like, it's the return of the purple guys. I, I think I like that. That's one reason I like Harley Quinn because, like, all the surrounding characters always act like the chaos and anarchy is like very part of the course, you know? Like, oh, it's just a Tuesday. <laughs> right. Uh, I also think one of the biggest talking points following the premiere is the performance of Oscar Isaac. I don't want to go far as saying he saved the show, but I have a difficult time seeing it working as well as it did without someone of his caliber. Cade, you had brought up the scene where he missed that date. The melancholy of that scene where he eats by himself is so heartbreaking. It's Mm. genuinely one of the saddest MCU scenes I could think of ever. Uh, And he totally sells it. He's also, of course, doing like the vague venom comedy of arguing with himself. There's the physical comedy of fighting over his body. Where do you sit on Isaac's performance so far? Do you think that somebody else could have done it? Do you? Uh, how key is his casting here? I, yeah, you go. I, yeah. No, sorry. I I uh, I wasn't sure until like the last scene when I saw you know the switch go from. Uh, what what's his name? The, the British one, Stephen Grant. Stephen to Mark because he goes from again a lovable loser to I'm a fucking badass and we're gonna mess this thing up. And you're like, oh, okay, this isn't as corny as I thought. Like he's really playing two sides of a coin here, and I loved it. I was like, all right, and I believe in this now. <laughs> and uh, I thought it was so well done. And and again, you know, going back to the dinner scene. Uh, he doesn't overdo it. He's not weeping in a mess. He's just like, this is my life. This is it. I I this, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. And uh, you know what? I'm a vegan, but I'm going to eat this steak. <laughs> and uh, I, I, that's just how shitty it is. But I, I want that steak. And he doesn't even know what to order. He, he's just like, I want it good. And he's just like, oh, <laughs> I'll get it well done. He's like, well done. Sounds I'll, delicious. I'll have the best bits. I'll yeah. have the best bits place. It's so sad. And I'm just like, oh, that's that's so simple, but such a perfect touch on the character. And, uh, you know, they don't they don't move away from his face. You never see the waiter or anything. It's just him uh, being very miserable. Uh, but I, I think he does it so well. And um, he, he plays it very earnestly, which I appreciate. I think I like it too more than Venom because at the end of the day, Eddie Brock and Venom are very similar personalities. There's both these kind of weirdo outsiders with a bit of uh, undue cockiness. And so that's why they, they get along because they're very similar. And watching Tom Hardy do both is, is funny. It yeah. is committed, but there's not a lot of, uh, I would say, personality t- tension within their dynamic. Whereas Stephen Grant and Mark Spector are obviously two different sides of the spectrum. So watching oscar isaac play both interacting with one another and swinging that pendulum within the same scene that's really fun and impressive to me and i can see why oscar isaac was excited by this opportunity as a performer you mm-hmm. gotta think that he was their first choice right how can he not be? like how Absolutely. much higher can you go yeah yeah 
yeah. Poe Dameron, come on. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely my favorite part of the show so far. Swinging over to the other main character of the series that is Ethan Hawke's villain, Arthur Harrow. Now, while I have said Moon Knight has yet to franchise MCU itself yet, I do think that this is one of the routes it's going to. I think that there's going to be a bigger reveal of who he really is in the comics from what I've read and looked up. Arthur Harrow is a remarkably small villain. I think he only appeared in one story. We touched on how he's putting the glass in his shoes. We see him sort of take the souls of people in that sort of um, uh, European town. We don't really know exactly what his goal is other than he's loyal to the god Amit, who he says was betrayed by fellow gods by even her own avatar. What do you think is going on with Hawk's character do you think that there's a bigger reveal in store? What do you think of Hawk's performance so far? General thoughts about what's going on with Hawk. I don't know, but I want to go to his tattoo parlor. <laughs> That's for sure. Let me get some of those superpower tattoos. One, no. Yeah, tats that can move and change colors. No, listen, Ethan Hawk is the man. And I think everyone was excited when he was cast opposite Oscar Isaac because he's a damn fine performer, a, a very interesting, non-traditional kind of leading man type performer. And I think he's bringing that quiet intensity to this role. He's just a badass mofo. And even while I'm not so down with like, oh, it's the religious occult and this entire village of people is just totally willing to like potentially be murdered by this guy just because of the beliefs and everything. I'm so down with the Egyptian mythology behind it. And I find that in future episodes to be such an interesting foundation to this show that I'm, I'm really digging it overall for sure. Yeah, I agree. I, I was uh, worried. Someone had said something uh, ahead of this release and said something like, oh, you know, he's not that crazy or good in it as he normally would be. Uh, and so I lowered my expectations. But uh, when he's doing his whole sermon or whatever the hell you want to call it in front of all those people, I was like, oh, this guy's the real fucking deal. <laughs> and then in the museum, I'm like, all right, Ethan Hawke didn't come in for a paycheck. He's here to play. <laughs> so uh, even though, yeah, he's just creepy. And like, even though he's not uh, like super theatrical, he's just cool to watch. He has an energy that is is very watchable. And I, I love Ethan Hawke, man. So I'm, I'm happy he's here. And uh, I'm excited to see what he is like in, in future episodes uh, because I want to see him fuck some shit up. <laughs> Don't we all? I, and I reserve that for all of Ethan Hawke's life, just like Absolutely. in normal stuff. Like, hey, man, if a reporter ever steps out of line, fuck some shit up. Like, <laughs> yeah. I would watch Ethan Hawke do that in any walk of life. 100%. 100%. I, I, I wish I was more in tune with Moon Knight lore so I could churn out some villains that I think he could be playing because I just think that this sort of Arthur Harrow character, unless like the god Amit that he's like representing like is turned into like a 3D CGI creation <laughs> and, and shows up, I'm expecting a bigger villain to show up at some point, which is actually a question that we got from our friend Kyle Van Derza at The Real KVD. He sort of touched on what we've just been talking about. I feel like this is the first Marvel show that didn't hide the villain in the premiere. Do you think they'll keep with it or will there be another surprise big bad reveal at the end of the season? Twofold. So one route is what I just said, sort of the God that he's serving will manifest themselves in the real world. Another one that I picked up, this is not an original thought. I'm going to give the credit to new rock stars. 
Hawk's character says that Amit was betrayed by fellow gods, by even her own avatar, which the implication being that sort of the avatar conspired with other gods to like overthrow or undercut Amit. Could this person be Rama Tut, the ancient Egypt version of Kang? Now, Kang has already been introduced in Loki. Rama Tut is one of the many multiversal personas that he takes on. He's also uniquely ancient Egyptian. So that could be a thread in play here. That would be cool. I, I don't think this show is necessarily going to do like the, oh, here's the villain behind the villain. I think maybe Amit, yeah. I don't know if it's going to go a, a step further than that because that's been the formula for each and every Disney Plus show, seemingly. I don't, I don't think they want to repeat themselves. But of all the ones that could show up and, and actually make an impact narratively, using Kang that way, where we keep getting different versions of him and building him up before Ant-Man 3 and future adventures, that would be cool. I like that idea. Uh, but nobody I, else. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's interesting because I think Ethan Hawke is enough of a powerhouse that you could just let him be his own thing. But at the same time, Marvel is very conditioned to we got to go bigger and we got to have some sort of thing to keep people interested in speculating Like, do we about. really think the big bad is this sort of a frail white guy who has a mm. cane? But with the God, yes, because otherwise it, it, it's WandaVision with the Agatha reveal. Then mm. it's Falcon and, and Winter Soldier with like, oh, power broker stuff. Then it's, you know, Hawkeye. We got we got Kingpin pulling pulling the strings, you know. They're, <laughs> they're, they can't do it every single time. It's such right. a tired trope that, yeah. that they wore out can't in they? one year. Can they? <laughs> they can. I just think they're, they're more self-aware and narratively <laughs> ambitious than that. That's why I think it's probably yeah. just Ethan Hawke with maybe a little Amit splashed in there. Yeah. Okay. All right. One more thing I want to touch on here is in the pilot and from the episodes I've seen so far, it's use or lack thereof of action. Now, at the end of the day, this is a superhero show. This is also one of Marvel's thus far in the MCU most violent blood spewing characters. And yet we don't really get any action. Even the reveal of Moon Knight, his back is turned. Yeah. Now, I think that this is effective in the pilot, but stretch over the course of the series, I would really like to see them ramp the action up. I think it's brave in terms of like what, what B said, like not following that same tried and true formula every single time. So we didn't get that Moon Knight versus Four Goons classic okay. fight scene in this one. And while I respect that now, I think going forward, I am going to need more of that particularly because I think the Moon Knight action and the result of that violence brings something to the MCU that we haven't seen so far. Cade, you retweeted this week a tweet from the direct that showed that they CGI'd out some blood in Falcon mm -hmm. and Soldier. So we're getting they that added blood. it back, though. Oh, they did. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was a technical error thing. That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting the end the blood but we're not getting the means the action that leads there and that's something that yeah. i didn't really love so far what are you guys thoughts on the action of this show so far it's it's interesting i i was surprised when it you mentioned the jaw thing which was disgusting and then a little bit after that when he's in the i was like square, whoa like i was, I was like, like shit oh, i was like this yeah. is fucking gnarly dude yeah. yeah yeah hard to hard to watch and then uh just a few minutes later he lays out those guys on in the town square thing and like their heads are spewing blood like 
big red puddles of blood uh, that I was like, that's intense. Um, so th- they are leaning into how violent this character actually is. And then he's beating down on some CGI creature at the end. Uh, but I want to see them uh, embrace that. Actually, like you said, the cutting away was also annoying. I, I figured at some point we were going to see him uh, snap into it and, and beat up some guys or whatever, but he never really does. I mean, even in the truck, he blacks out for a moment and after he shoots some people. And you're like, thought we were going to see him use this gun effectively. And, then he throws and not the gun. only and not <laughs> only that, but they are comedifying that scene with the song that they use. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's a weird balance. I, I, I want to see them embrace it more. Uh, weirdly enough, I'm pretty sure 98% of what we saw in the trailer was this episode. I don't think that they really showed much of the future of this show, maybe a little bit here and there, but uh, uh, everything that I think everyone speculated over uh, regarding what the show would be was all in that first trailer and within the first episode. Uh, which is interesting. No, I got to disagree with you guys. I loved <laughs> the intercutting blackouts. I thought they played it so creatively, so well, gave us such a great little window into how divided this man's psyche truly is. And was it an entertaining little comedic bit? Yes. I think as the show gets on, it's probably going to get you know weirder and darker. Although again, we haven't seen the, the last two episodes, Eric and I, but I, I thought they did a really good job of, segueing into it slowly and and we know that there's gonna be more of a kind of centralized personality clash as we go on since he's already becoming so much more aware of what's in his head i had said this to be last night and that's just i just want them to commit this is going to be a violent deranged character let him be violent and deranged don't just imply it that to me feels like a cheap corner cutting sellout the implication of violence and not the explicit unveiling of it and look i am aware that these are shows ultimately that are for kids too mm-hmm. but they have a chance to introduce a genuinely new facet to the mcu the same way that shang chi did we had never gotten kung fu in the mcu it showed up and now shang chi is probably a consensus top 10 film that they've done right absolutely if Mo- if they let moon knight be what they are acting like they want it to be then I think the show could be great. I've seen more, so I know how this unfolds. And I'll just say that I want them to commit, and I hope that they do. Final topic here, unless you guys have got, uh, and then we'll swing over to one more from Twitter. Final topic that I've got here, unless you guys have anything that you want to discuss. Where do we think Moon Knight will pop up next, and how will he connect to the MCU at large? Some projects slash characters that I could see being of similar ilk. Blade, Werewolf by Night, Kit Harrington's Black Knight. Combine those three characters, and they're about a Ghost Rider away from a Midnight Suns-esque team. If you throw Daredevil in the mix as well, which I I don't think he's traditionally a Midnight Suns member in the character, but in terms of the MCU, I feel like he's totally close enough. You take that with the apparent plans to unroll a Thunderbolts team and a Young Avengers team, and I'm wondering if we're seeing Marvel's new team-up strategy unfold. Whereas if Avengers Endgame or the Avengers was like an all-star game of the entire league, it feels like they're going for all-star games broken up by division, right? So 
they have the Asgardians of the galaxy. They've got the Thunderbolts. They've got the young Avengers. They potentially have the Midnight Suns. So where and how do you see, um, sorry, not Blade, Moon Knight being worked into the MCU at large? You know, I I just, I want to ask quickly though, because I I agree, it does look like they're going for mini team-ups on a more consistent basis rather than the ultimate Avengers team-ups. I'm wondering if you're increasing the frequency, does that take away uh, the, the specialness of each crossover? Or if enough of these solo projects are hitting, is it still like, oh, this is a banger. This is really cool to see everybody interact. I'm not sure how I feel because I got to see it first, but it could go either way. I think if they're as thematically dissimilar as a Thunderbolts and Young Avengers and Midnight Suns project should be, I think it works. And in fact, that excites excites me quite a bit. I agree exactly with what you just said. yeah, I, I, I didn't Oscar Isaac like kind of slip up recently in an interview and mention something that led people to believe that they are doing a Midnight Suns thing. Did anyone else see that? Oh, I don't know anything about that, but that'd be cool. Uh, he had mentioned some either Midnight Suns by name or Daredevil. Uh, and then people were like, whoa, hey, hey what's going on here? So uh, I, I believe that that is exactly what, what the plan is here. I mean, we already know. They haven't officially announced it, but it's heavily, heavily, heavily rumored there's a Daredevil reboot filming next year. Um, so that could be really interesting. And we know what Blade is going to be and stuff. So I think that they have set up the foundational elements for something like a team up. And like you said, just having the tonality difference where you are distinguishing all of that. Because in the comic books, there's team ups all the time, but they still feel fun and, and exciting. Um but you do walk a dangerous line in, in a movie where if you're doing that constantly and you're not separating it, still retaining some, some of the uh, novelty of it, you, you could, you know, saturate it, which would be a problem. But I, I feel like they have a good understanding of when and how to do that. Um, but I, I want to see these new characters do it uh, because it's, it's more than just coming together for a big threat like Thanos. It's like ground level stuff, which is really cool. If you had to place a bet, where would you bet the next time that we see this character is? Werewolf by Night. Um, I don't even know if it's been announced. I feel like it's something that they probably haven't announced officially yet. Uh, Whether that be the Daredevil thing or a Midnight Sun show. Gotcha. All right, let's swing over to Twitter from our friend Eric Blakeney at underscore Mr. Blakeney. It's obvious that Steven has been doing his nightly lockdown routine for quite a while, but he seems intelligent enough to seek mental help. So why wouldn't he do his other alter ego stop him? I think that's exactly it. I think that sort of Steven is being like sort of a mouse in a like a maze type thing, and they're controlling what he sees and does. It's plot armor, because if he goes and seeks <laughs> mental health and he's medicated, there's no show. <laughs> so they just Therapy need to work their ways around it. Villain for, yeah. for <laughs> they, they can't have simple solutions to, uh, uh, you know, central problems. Right. Yeah. Cut and dry. And then Eric also says, also the constant voicemails left for mom makes me think she's dead, has been for a while, and he just doesn't know. I'm doubting that that's his mom at all. I just think mm. that they've probably his... Mark has got him calling some empty voicemail somewhere or, or something, but obviously the sort of aggressive way in which they made sure to show you, Hey, this guy calls his mom constantly and she never picks up is obviously suspect. 
Yes. Uh, and also furthers my point of this being so sad, <laughs> so tragic. Because uh, whether she's dead or not, like, it's still, like, he's not talking to anybody, and they're not talking back. I mean, he goes and sits down on the fucking statue guy. Like, he's, is, I believe it's a real person, you know, one of those street performers or whatever. But uh, that guy's not talking back to him. And he just has to basically go vent to people who will not speak back to him. That's so sad. (laughs) So from my understanding, Mark has been in control of that body the majority of its life. And, and, and Stephen Grant is relatively new. Like he's only been alive quote unquote for like six months. Like my question is, you know, has Stephen Grant always been there? And Mark Spector is the one who's suffering from DID. Oh, and regardless of that, what caused the schism? Because it sounded like Mark was always in control. And then when he was resurrected and given Conchu powers, that's when uh, 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 Steven started popping up. Like, I- I'm curious as to like the timeline of-, of these psyches and like who is the real person and whatnot. It's a very fun question, right? It's it's something that we've never explored in a, in a Marvel thing of just like, this weird like dr strange does a lot of trippy psychological stuff but this is much more you're in the dark because in dr strange you know kind of what's happening but here you're like i don't know what the fuck's going on <laughs> this guy doesn't know what's going on we're all lost well, that's uh, what makes me wonder if we're gonna get an episode that fills in the blanks i hope, I hope so like a classic penultimate oh here's what life was like for him three years ago type yeah right? Um, all right, one more question from Twitter from our friend Sam at Sammy Rob 18. Why did he get a well done steak? Kate touched on that because the Stephen Grant persona is a vegan, which leads us to suspect that Mark Spector, who appeared to be the one to set up the date, that's why he was confused about it, eats meat. Also, though, what accent was Mark Spector using? Like, was he faking a British mm. accent? Was he just talking American? Like, how come no one addresses that? These are the questions not- we need answered. All right. Do you guys have any more thoughts? Moon Knight? No, not really. No, I, I, I really like it, though. I think it's one of the best Marvel shows they've done so far. And now that we're just talking about it, like just given the power source, Moon Knight would absolutely wallop Daredevil, right? Like Daredevil's oh, yeah. still just a guy. Probably, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, I'd say so. okay. I mean, that that monster was trying to get away from him at the end. He had to drag him back <laughs> yeah. in with a fucking WWE guy. He's like, I'm not done with you. <laughs> Put that thing in the walls of Jericho. all right y'all that is gonna do it for our episode uh, moon Knight episode one recap pod thank you to our boy brandon katz for joining us you could find him over at morning brew and follow him at great underscore katsby you could find my co-host Cade over at comicbook.com follow him at Cade underscore onder you could find me at brobible.com and follow me at eric italiano next week we'll be doing moon Knight episode two i think major release next week is Sonic 2 which we're not really going to cover on this show and then um, Massive Talent comes out on April 22nd and there's also a release on April 15th that's escaping my mind right now but but go see Massive Talent in theaters don't let this one flop it's so deserving yeah absolutely absolutely I said that really I cannot give that film any more high praise than I have and hopefully stay tuned we're trying to land interviews with Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal no promises fellas thank you for joining me today it's a pleasure to see y'all guys faces and I will talk to you next week basically